Welcome to the Neon Noise Podcast, your home for learning ways to attract more traffic to your website, generate more leads, convert more leads into customers, and build stronger relationships with your customers. And now, your hosts, Justin Johnson and Ken Franzen. Hey, 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 Neon Noise Nation. This is the Neon Noise Podcast, where we decode marketing and sales topics to help you grow your business. What's up, everyone? This is Justin Johnson. And with me, I have my co-host, Mr. Ken Franzen. Ken, what's going on? How's everything going for you today? Things are going great today, Justin. How about yourself? I am I'm doing good as well. I'm excited to hear from our featured guest. He is an expert when it comes to pretty much anything uh, marketing and sales related. Today we have on David Meerman Scott. David is a marketing strategist, international sales and marketing speaker, best-selling author and co-founder of Signature Tones, the sound of your brand. Signature Tones is a sonic branding studio working with organizations on the use of music and sound to establish a unique and memorable identity. His books and blogs are a must-read for professionals seeking to generate attention in ways that grow their business. A frequent speaker for Tony Robbins, David's audience and insights help people, products, and organizations stand out, get noticed, capture hearts and minds. David, it sounds like you have a lot going on. Welcome to Neon Noise. Having a lot going on is a great thing. Thanks, <laughs> Justin. Justin and Ken, I'm happy to be here um, and do some Neon Noise with you. Beautiful. Perfect. Let's do some Neon Noise. Hey, David, do me a favor and fill in the gaps on anything I may have missed and just share a little bit about your background. No, that sounds good. Um, you got you got a lot of the high points there. I, I was a marketing and sales guys at company companies for about 15 years. Um, I worked in Tokyo and Hong Kong and New York and Boston for international companies. And in 2002, the company I was working for was acquired by Thomson Reuters and they fired me. Oh, no. and, that, if that, and that was the best career move I ever made because that gave <laughs> me an opportunity to, um, to go out on my own. And and 2002 was an interesting time because it was the it was the beginning, the dawn of sort of the real time social networking content creation uh, time frame. And so I started um, creating content as marketing for marketing and sales purposes back then. Started my blog in 2004. Started on Twitter 2008 when it started, and uh, YouTube and all that when it started. And um, I've written 10 books so far. Three are international bestsellers. The one I'm probably best known for is called The New Rules of Marketing and PR. Nice. And your book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, is coming out with uh, an amazing sixth edition later this month, correct? Yeah, the sixth edition, which is remarkable. Um, it came out in the first edition back in 2007, so about 10 years ago. And I was actually writing the first edition in between 2005 and 2006. And I remember distinctly, I was finishing up the book, finishing up the manuscript, sent it to my publisher, um, and um, the, it went to print, and it came off the printing press, and then Twitter started. And so the book was out, and I kept getting these emails from people saying, hey, David, um, I, lo I love your book, but you forgot to write about Twitter. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> so I, I decided I had to do an update to the new rules of marketing and PR. So the second edition came out about a year later. And now we continually have new things that we can do, new tools um, in order to reach people. And so the sixth edition now is, is on its way out. And the new things in the sixth edition 
are um, a big section on using Facebook Live. I'm a big fan of the idea of live streaming video uh, as a form of marketing and sales. Um, there's also a section on Snapchat and a bunch of nice. new stories in the book. And it's really kind of cool. That book has been, um, it's been really great for all, all kinds of entrepreneurs to be able to sort of get a sense for how you can reach your audience directly. Um, and um, in English, we've sold 375,000 copies over the different editions. And then the other thing that's incredibly cool for me, because I'm an internationalist, is it's in 29 different languages from Albanian to Vietnamese. That's awesome. And, and so, that, so what's cool about that is I'm a huge geek about world travel, so I'm constantly getting invited to speak at all these interesting countries where my book is uh, available in the local language. So, um, hey, I get paid to travel. There's nothing better. I, I wouldn't That's deny that one thing. thing. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking at the fifth edition on my bookshelf right now, and it's not a little book. It's over, I think, 400 pages. And you know what I did with the sixth edition? I made it shorter. <laughs> no, I love the fact it's 400 pages because it's it's thorough. It, it's jam-packed with a ton of value. In awesome is a, a complete manuscript of, I, I just, I, I feel like it's one of those must haves on the shelf of, of any business owner or entrepreneur that wants to understand the world today that we live in, because in it, you, you talk about some of the old rules of marketing PR in, and I wanted to maybe kick off with, with maybe you talking a little bit about the old rules and sure. then segue into the new rules. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, entrepreneurs, in order to generate business, they need to get attention for their company, attention for their products and services. And um, for decades, the old rules suggested there were basic three basic ways to generate attention. Number one, you could buy attention by buying advertising. So you know, you could buy television or radio or newspaper or magazine ads. You could buy a, a, a list and send people or direct mail. You could do a billboard by the side of the road, you know, whatever. Um, uh, buying advertising. Um, you could try to go through the media um, and traditional public relations uh, form of generating attention is you have to beat up members of the media and, and try to, you know, beg them to, to write about you you were broadcast about you in their publications. And then the third basic way of generating attention is through sales. And primarily sales and traditional forms of sales has been about interrupting people, you know, calling them up and cold calling them or, or sending them emails that are unsolicited or knocking on doors or whatever it might be. And so those old rules, um, many, many entrepreneurs are still using those methods. And so what I, um, propose is that there is a much better way to reach people because now the ways people are buying has changed. And we all know that. Everyone listening in on this knows that because if you need to make a, a decision about a product or service, you know, you let's say you want to go on a ski holiday or you want to buy a new set of golf clubs or you need a new piece of software for your business, first place you're going to go is online. You're going to go to Google or you're going to go to the social networks and ask people for their advice. So the whole idea of the new rules is how can you be in front of people at the moment that they're looking for a product or service just like yours, as opposed to 
spending all this time and effort to try to interrupt your way into people, which is the old ways that, that people have been doing that for decades. Sure. So what about the, the, the listener who is intimidated by, because a lot of this involves technology uh, and they, they see this, this mad rush of competitive landscape in front of them. Everyone's rushing to these. I, there's so many different platforms with so much opportunity. Um, what do you say to that person there who, who is looking at, uh, it's still sitting on the sidelines waiting for, I don't know what, uh, cause I see so many doing that. I think they're confused, scratching their head, but what do you say to that person there that that's, in, uh, confused or, and, or intimidated by the technology? Yeah. So, I think the first thing I would say is that this is the world today. And if you want to grow your business, if you want to be successful into the future, that you have to figure this out one way or another, whether it's you yourself figuring it out, which I highly recommend, um, or working with somebody to help you to figure it out. Um, um, But I, I believe it requires a mindset shift. Uh, And I think the same kind of mindset shift is required to, for example, get fit and healthy. Um, So um, when I turned 50 a couple years ago, I weighed 215 pounds. I was overweight. I didn't feel good. And I decided to have a mindset shift around fitness and health and began exercising every day, began eating much better. And I'm, I'm about 157 right now. I'm, I'm six foot one. I'm 56 years old. I can nice. bang out, um, I can bang out 12 push up, uh, 12 pull ups in a row. Um, Saturday just for fun. I swam three kilometers in way less than an hour. So I've, I've gotten incredible. I've gotten incredibly fit and, but it, it, it wasn't, I, I had tried that dozens of times in my life and it never worked. It only worked when I made the mindset shift. So I think for those people who are fearful, and I totally get it, I've, I've, I've spoken with hundreds of people who have been fearful in this way, that if you, um, if, you, if you just begin to make the mindset shift that this is the way that people are making purchase decisions today, because guess what? This is the way you make purchase decisions today. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to the web when you have a problem to solve. Uh, you're, you're not waiting for a magazine article to tell you the answer or going to the library to search on something. You're going to the web. Uh, and so that's the first observation. The second observation is that, yes, there are tons of tools out there, but you don't have to do all of them. I will give you permission not to do all of them. I myself don't do all of them. Um, uh, so it's a matter of choosing what are the several things that are going to be um, effective for you. So some people aren't really very good at writing, um, but but they can maybe create a YouTube channel. So there's a really cool guy called Matt Reisinger. He's actually, his story is in the new sixth edition of the New Rules of Marketing and PR. Um, he runs a, um, a custom home building um, company in Austin, Texas. And his was a new company about 10 years ago. He was competing against um, builders who have been in the market for 10 and 20 and 30 years before him. So it was very difficult for him to build a word of mouth network. It was very difficult because he didn't have any money of just starting out to spend money on advertising. So he built a YouTube channel and he started to educate people about how uh, to build houses. Um, And 
his YouTube channel started with just him um, with a, a very simple video camera that he gave to one of his, um, his workmen and said, hey, film me, and now I'm going to talk about some aspect of building. And he put those up once a week. And his, his YouTube channel started to catch on. And then he started to get inquiries from the building supply companies like Anderson Windows and the people who make doors and the, and the wood companies and whatever to say, hey, we really like your, um, your video channel. Can, can you talk about our products and service? So he started to sell sponsorships on his YouTube channel. And um, so very quickly... He built an amazing channel so that last year, 2016, he had 6 million views of his YouTube videos. Wow. Uh, and, then, and then a stat that I absolutely love is that he made $150,000 in sponsorship revenue on his YouTube channel, which is essentially his marketing. And then um, his business is running at about $15 million a year. Uh, now he his homes the homes he builds range in, in, in from about two million dollars to five million dollars and he's doing um, four or five or six houses a, a year so he's doing really really well and it was all on the back of a YouTube channel so that's great th- that's what that that's just <clears throat> to illustrate that you don't have to 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 be fearful oh my god I can't write so therefore I can't do anything I mean sure. in Matt's case he just said hey I I can film some YouTube videos. He was a real big fan of this old house when he was growing up. So he said, hey, I'm just going to create a version of this old house, but on YouTube. Uh, and, and so that's just one illustration. But another buddy of mine, um, is um, he runs a surf school on Nantucket Island. And um, he, he's built his business on the back of Instagram because Instagram is a very visual medium. Uh, and his Instagram um, ID is Nantucket Surfing. So um, uh, he's got a, a good following, and then uh, he every day will do uh, shoot photos um, both from the land using his iPhone and also from the water using a GoPro, and then he'll put those shots up onto his Instagram, and it's become like the de facto place for surfing on Nantucket Island, and he just happens to run the local surf school and then drives people to his surf school. And then very, very cleverly, he shoots pictures of his students uh, and many of them are kids, so he first asks, asks permissions of the, of the parents and it's, if it's okay for him to post the photos if they're underage, and almost everybody says yes. So he posts those photos sometimes to his Instagram and also his Facebook. And then the little kids, you know, like imagine a 12-year-old surfing for the very first time. They're incredibly stoked if there's a picture of them in the water, and then they share it with their friends on Facebook. And then, yeah. gee, we're going to Nantucket too. Maybe we should take our kid and have them go to the surf school. So um, I know that was a very, very long, very, very long answer to a very simple question. But um, getting over the fear, developing a new mindset, and then I think um, realizing that you don't have to do everything. You don't have to go and do um, uh, all of these various different things. You can just create something that you're comfortable with. Love it. You break up an interesting point that I wanted to ask you about because you made note of going with a medium that fits your personality, comfort level, what you're good at. Whereas sometimes I think business owners, entrepreneurs look at competitors that are having success and try to mimic what they are doing or try to copy a pre-written formula of another. Would you, would you say that there's, 
it's better to go with a medium or a form of communication that you find more comfortable, even if it's against the perceived blueprint that is working for others? Or do you feel that it's a combination of both? So um, actually, I'm going to go down a slightly different path. Um, I think that one thing that's essential is um, what what particular medium or tool or social channel are your buyers likely to use? And then that wasn't one of the ones that you just suggested. So that's an important thing to consider. So, for example, if you're selling enterprise software, you probably ought to be on LinkedIn. Um, however, um, it's probably not such a great idea to, to devote all of your attention to Snapchat. Um, just, just because most enterprise software is, is purchased by people who are um, in corporate organizations and they're more likely to be on LinkedIn and much less likely to be on Snapchat. So the first consideration would be, um, would be where are the buyers that you're trying to reach? What social network are they likely to be on? So once you've checked that box, then I totally, I totally think that you should focus next on what you're comfortable with. And I would actually encourage you not to try to do what the other guys are doing. Um, you know, if your competitor has a really popular blog, I would think that that's a reason for you maybe not to not to necessarily push in that direction, but maybe rather, well, maybe we can do something around video because they're not doing around they're not doing video, or maybe we can do something around infographics because they're not doing that, or maybe we can create an online course um, that we can offer for free that can educate people around this particular market expertise that we have. So there's lots of different ways that you can get out there. And, uh, and that you can also do more than one, of course. But, but yeah, I'm, my, I tend to be a contrarian when it comes to what the competitors are doing. And I would, I would like to see people go down a different path than trying to copy what somebody else is doing. I love it. It's so important to, because uh, you, get, you get those, those conversations and you can engage with these conversations where people are talking about what their competitors and its perceived success and in, in it sounds a little bit like maybe some of the old rules because of the old rules that you talked about, the, the buyer audience, uh, you leverage the media or the sales, uh, back then it, you had no options today. We have all these different options. There's, there's yeah. plenty of platforms and, and mediums that we could leverage. Yeah, absolutely. There's tons of them. Um, uh, uh, that being said, I do think there is one other consideration and that is that I think everybody should own some real estate on the web. Now, here's what I mean by that. Um, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, they're all great, but ultimately the content is owned by those social channels and the various search options um, are, are sometimes difficult. If you go to Google and you're trying to find um, something on LinkedIn, it, it's, it's either hard or impossible. So, I, I always recommend that every organization definitely have a web presence. You know, a, a website in a minimum, but um, could be a blog or could be some other forms of content that they own. That's on the web. That's their URL that they uh, that they own. 
that drives back ultimately to their business. Um, I think that's essential for every organization, even if they end up doing a great job with something like YouTube or, or, or Facebook or LinkedIn or some other social channel or Twitter. Um, ultimately, they're going to need their own web presence, which is real estate that they own that gets driven back to them in the search results. Great Absolutely. Point. Because you look at how Facebook changed when they placed the algorithm in their feed in the posts we used to be able to make to our pages that would reach much of our audience now reaches very little unless it gets a lot of uh, uh, sharing and, and interaction without paying to play. So Yeah, I've, ha- I've had that problem too. I, I used to get really, really good engagement with my Facebook posts. You know, I'd have hundreds of people who were uh, sharing and reading my stuff. I'd have dozens and dozens of comments and, you know, several hundred likes, even just on a real simple post. I'm not getting anywhere near that anymore. And every time um, I, I send something, they immediately ask me if I want to pay to boost it. And it's like, <laughs> no, it just, the, it just it, yeah, it, it seems like it seems like they've changed the algorithm such that they're doing it um, to make to make money for Facebook rather than necessarily doing it for their um, uh, for their audience. And then on the on the flip side of it. I no longer get my feed in chronological order. Now I'm I'm seeing messages from people from some weird algorithm where they decide that I'm going to be interested in something when I'm not necessarily interested in it. So, um, yeah, so that's what can happen. You can build an amazing presence on a social network like Facebook and be humming along and doing great. Oof. And all of a sudden, that Facebook can take that away from you yeah. just by changing the way they do their algorithm. So that's why it's so essential to have your own real estate on the web. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And you made mention that the sixth edition, you're covering Facebook Live and Snapchat, which uh, we see video becoming more and more of a, a major component on these social platforms. Talk to us a little bit more about how much emphasis we should place on video in our content marketing mix. Uh, is, is that something because we're seeing more and more of it and we just kind of, you know, I don't know if this contradicts the discussion we just had or not, but, uh, the, the increased use of video and presence of video, uh, it almost seems like the photo is is gone by the wayward and a text post is getting buried by all this visual content yeah um i i mean never mind the algorithm part because i i I, i'm not an expert in facebook's algorithm or any of the other social networks algorithm i mean used to be when I did a Facebook Live, it was seen by thousands of people. Now when I do one, it's not, that's not necessarily true, although it can be. But, but what's, what's, what I think is so cool about Facebook Live, and for those, of, those people who have not experienced it, you just use your smartphone, um, access Facebook, and then um, there's a little button that says go live. You press it, and then you're live. You're, you're transmitting a video at that moment. Um, it's so darned easy. <laughs> it's like it's like so freaking easy, and that's one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Facebook Live, is because um, if you have a decent following on Facebook, or if you're trying to establish a following on Facebook, it's just so easy to create these little videos. Now, 
you know, the question is, okay, well, what am I going to do a video on? Well, at a conference, you could um, uh, you could interview somebody and you know take three minutes to interview them using using your smartphone, using Facebook Live. Um, you could do a little um, how-to tutorial using Facebook Live. Um, you could, like, for example, um, I wrote a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. I'm a fan of the Grateful Dead, and and so um, some of the former members of the Grateful Dead have been touring uh, this summer under the name Dead and Company, and um, with John Mayer filling the Jerry Garcia role. So I went to two Dead and Company shows in Boston at Fenway Park a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago. So I thought, well, shoot, I'll just broadcast one of the songs on Facebook Live, which I did. And, uh, and then I also broadcast a song on, uh, on Twitter's video streaming feature. And, um, and it was cool because it took me, you know, 10 seconds to set it up, um, three or four minutes to hold the camera, and several hundred people saw it. And, you know, people remember, oh, yeah, he's the dude who wrote the book, Marcus <laughs> from the Grateful Dead, you know. So it's kind of part of my branding that I'm a Grateful Dead fan. That's very cool. Um, so it's as simple. It's kind of as simple as that. Um, so I am a big fan of it. And I think I think people should experiment with it and see if it's something that they like because some people really get into it and uh, and find that it's extremely helpful for their business, again, because it's so easy and it's free. And um, and if you end up um, figuring it out and having fun with it and, 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 and finding a little niche, it's entirely possible that you can build an incredible fan base and grow your business as a result. Um, I had one cool experience. I, um, I was on the stage at a Tony Robbins event. I speak at all of Tony Robbins Business Mastery events around the world. And I was on a Tony Robbins stage in January, um, and I did a little um, section in my, I have a, I have a two, two and a half hour slot at Business Master. I did a little section on newsjacking, which, we, which is an awesome concept about how you can draft off of the news to get exposure. So it's about a 15 minute section in a two and a half hour speech. And I had Tony Robbins social media guy hold my um, iPhone um, filming me um, using Facebook Live, but filming me um, so that um, he could see the whole stage from the camera, and then he would sometimes go zoom in on the audience and whatnot. So anyway, he's filming me about 15 minutes, then we posted it, and then um, uh, and then it got shared by a bunch of people who were there because I said, hey, I'm filming this on Facebook Live if anyone wants to see it when you get back to your room, and, um, and it had 75,000 views. Wow. And, you know, just, just, you know, it took five minutes to set up and we did it, you know, it took absolutely no work. And I'm, you know, I don't have 75,000 followers on, on Twitter. I have 125,000 on, I mean, sorry, I don't have 75,000 followers on Facebook. Um, so I'm reaching tons of people who don't know me yet. And maybe some of those will buy a book. Maybe some of those will be interested in hiring me to speak at their event. Um, so something like that is just a really cool way to, to get yourself out there. Perfect. In the video you're talking about, we're not, I mean, this is live. This is press the, the, the record button or play. Yeah. Record button. And you're live. This isn't staged. This isn't uh, no, lighting and, and all the things no. that uh, no. it, <laughs> I call it. Um, I call it um, uh, uh, business casual video. You know, it's funny. When, <laughs> Love that. <laughs> when I, when I, when I started my career in the late 1980s, my first job was on wall street. Man, I wore a, a crisp, sharp suit and tie with shine shoes every single day, you know, on, on, 
on Fridays at 4:30, you're allowed to loosen your tie. But other than that, you had to be you had to be buttoned up. And now, practically every market is incredibly casual. I mean, I go to um, I go to meetings in Boston or San Francisco, wherever I go, and you know, I wear jeans and a and a decent shirt. You know, and 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 I'll, in the summer, I wear a polo shirt. It's completely changed. So I think. I think of video is the same way. I mean, you used to have to have lights and makeup and scripts and multi cameras and all this, and it was a big, big fat expense. Um, but now I call it business casual video, and you know, just hey, come as you are, no makeup. You know, you don't need to comb your hair. You just shoot. You just turn on your camera and shoot. And and while it is called Facebook Live, and you you literally go live, and people can be watching your stream live. Facebook does then archive it so you can see it again, um, and, um, uh, and and so you can point to it later on, you know, the next day, two weeks later, a month later, whatever it is. Sure. And I love the term there, business schedule video. That that that's fantastic. Uh, that's great. <laughs> because even if you wanted to, and this is this is one thing that I've talking with a, a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs, they tell me. Again, I'd love to do video, but to hire someone to, I don't know, a place to shoot video, they have to hire someone to come in to shoot the video, to insert B-roll, background music, and this long, and it doesn't have to be, the video doesn't have to be that high production. There's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, the high production uh, video is fantastic, but the point I'm trying to make is that it, it doesn't need to be uh, even recorded video, even if you're not shooting live and you want to uh, record a video and then check it out and then post it. I just did this for a, a position we're hiring here at the company. I was going to post it on Facebook and when knowing anyone that wants to be a content manager at Neon Goldfish, please apply. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to shoot a quick video. And I did a couple yeah. takes, but I did a video. I used a, a tripod because I had one here at the office. It took me five minutes, put it on Facebook, and uh, it had 1,700 views in 24 hours. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nice. Awesome. That's ex- that's exactly what it's like. That's exactly the idea, and um, and it's, it's just so darn easy. Um, so um, uh, there. That's not to say that um, uh, that a high production value video is going away. I myself occasionally will do a high production value video, um, but I'm doing a lot more casual videos than I am the the, the full blown um, expensive kind of videos. Sure. So you mentioned newsjacking. You have a book yeah. on newsjacking. I believe an online course on it as well. Is that correct? I do. I have. Um, I actually have two online courses. One uh, online course is, is called Master Newsjacking, uh, and the URL is newsjacking.com. The other one is called New Marketing Mastery, uh, and the New Marketing Mastery is the program I developed with Tony Robbins, and um, and we make it available at all the Tony Robbins events. But New Marketing Mastery. If you go to that URL, newmarketingmastery.com, you can find it. Um, so newsjacking is this incredibly cool concept that I pioneered, and it's basically what you do is you look at what's going on in the news. It could be the, in the international news or national news, or it could be just local news if you're running a business that you serve customers locally or in your marketplace if you're serving a niche market. Um, so you follow the news, and then you figure out what's going on in the news that you have some kind of expertise around or what's going on in the news that you might poke a little bit of fun at. And then you create a piece of content 
that injects your take on that news so that not the media can find it and also potential customers can find it and also it ends up getting shared uh, by a lot of people. And it's a great concept to get, generate attention in a really big way. I'll give you an example. So a um, young entrepreneur by the name of Trent Silver, is um, he runs a bunch of different little companies, but one of the little companies he runs is called Cash for Purses. And what Cash for Purses does is they buy used handbags um, uh, from people, uh, you know, high-end Louis Vuitton Prada, Coach, bags like that, fix them up if required, and then they sell them through either eBay or through, um, uh, through boutiques. And uh, Trent told me that his biggest challenge was how does he get more handbags to be able to sell, high-quality handbags. So he looks to the news to try to find stories that are interesting that he can tie his brand cash for purses to. So as an example, um, uh, recently um, Lindsay Lohan was having money troubles and she was in the news because she was having trouble paying her bills because she hasn't gotten any moving, movie gigs recently. So um, Trent Silver created a blog post where he offered to buy Lindsay Lohan's used handbags. And that was really cool because members of the media we're kind of getting tired of the same storyline of, oh, Lindsay Lohan's having money troubles, she's not getting any movie deals, she might go bankrupt, and all of a sudden they could say, oh, and maybe her financial troubles will be solved if she just uh, sells all of her uh, used handbags to, to this company, Cash for Purses. And he ended up getting quoted, getting stories written about that on the Huffington Post and in People Magazine and in uh, a bunch of different um, publications, dozens of different publications. And what Trent told me is that um, is that once those stories all came out, he was having a huge spike in traffic on his website, and he generated eight thousand online inquiries uh, and about 18% of them ended up closing. In other words, people sold them his, the, the handbags and he generated a quarter of a million dollars in new business just by doing that. And by the way, it's free. News tracking is free. Just create content around a story that's happening in the news. That's great. In the timeliness of that, it is, has to be paramount. You have to probably jump on that right away while it's still relevant, correct? Yeah, the timeliness is really important. Absolutely, the timeliness is essential. Um, when the story is happening, that's when the public cares about it. That's when it's really interesting. That's when uh, people want to know right now. I mean, I'll give you an example in my own world. Um, I've, I started writing uh, in August of 2000, uh, 2015, so almost exactly two years ago, I started writing about the U.S. presidential election. And this is the fifth U.S. presidential election cycle that I've written about. Um, I started writing about it when I was writing in magazines. This is like before I even had a blog. Uh, but I wrote about it starting on my blog on the 04 cycle and then the 08 cycle and, and whatnot. So I've been writing a lot. I've written a lot about um, the primaries, um, and I've written a lot about the general election with Clinton versus Trump. And I, I live in the Boston area, so I went to a bunch of different um, first primary events in New Hampshire, because New Hampshire is only an hour from me. And then I went to some of the uh, general election events in New Hampshire. 
and New Hampshire, of course, being the very first primary state, and New, New Hampshire also, of course, was a swing state this year. So I saw Donald Trump speak multiple times. I saw Hillary Clinton speak multiple times. I saw Bernie Sanders and a bunch of the other candidates speak and started writing a lot about Donald Trump being the most real-time candidate. And, you know, Trump, and I wrote a lot about Donald Trump's use of Twitter and his use of real-time. And Donald Trump, by the way, also his use of newsjacking. And it, uh, uh, one example of Donald Trump newsjacking was when Hillary Clinton was giving her uh, Democratic National Convention speech, probably the most important speech of her entire political career. Um, during that speech, Donald Trump was live-tweeting it. And that, by live-tweeting it, Donald Trump um, made, it, um, uh, made it possible for his quotes to be in all the stories about Hillary Clinton's speech. <laughs> and that's the whole idea of newsjacking, right? Put your stuff in the market at the right moment, um, which was a brilliant strategy. Now, I just, I'm not suggesting, um, I'm not talking about Donald Trump's politics. I'm not commenting on politics. I don't comment about politics. I only comment about marketing and sales. But Trump was the best marketer. And everybody thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. Uh, and all the polls suggested that, all the reporters suggested that, every story said that Hillary Clinton's going to win the election. I mean, it was almost like no doubt in anybody's mind in November of last year that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And then, holy crap, Donald Trump won. And I spent, um, after it was clear that he won, I spent about an hour and a half writing a blog post. And the title of the blog post was The Best Marketer Was Elected President. And I, I, I referred great. back to some of my other blog posts that came out at four o'clock in the morning um, on the day after the election. So in other words, only about two hours after the election was finally called for Donald Trump. And I got I got so much coverage from that one blog post uh, because I got written up in about 10 different media publications as a result of that. I got, uh, and I make the majority of my income from paid speaking gigs. I charge $25,000 for a speaking gig. I ended up booking a bunch of speaking gigs because people said, oh, well, this guy's the expert on Donald Trump's marketing. We should have him come and speak at our event. So, um, you never really know when one of these opportunities are going to come up, so the speed is incredibly important. And in my case, I put that blog post out two hours, roughly two hours after Trump was um, named um, the next president, um, named, named president-elect. Had I waited, it wouldn't have been successful. I had to put it out right then. Um, even if I had waited until noon the next day, it wouldn't have been successful. It's all about doing it right at that moment. Brilliant. Yes, to, to say the least. And just watching, so it's always the news coverage, the, 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 the main news channels where you would recommend that uh, people monitor for opportunities. I know that I receive uh, emails twice a day from uh, Help a Reporter Out with different topics based on um the, the things that I'm interested in, or I think I could contribute to, and I've responded to some, but I've not been successful, but I probably haven't worked that as hard as I could have. Um, what, what would be your suggestions? And obviously I don't want to take anything away from your course or your book. I would... Oh, no, no, no. I'm happy to, I'm happy to give away the secrets. <laughs> um, the core, the, the course provides tons of details on all this stuff, but here's what I do. Um, every day um, I read the daily print newspaper of where, wherever I happen to be. 
I live in the Boston area, so when I'm at home, it's the Boston Globe. But if I'm on the road, I get the local daily newspaper um, because I want to know what people are re- what people are writing about in the newspaper. I want to know what the editors are writing. Uh, I know it's really old school, but it's an interesting way to just get a sense of what stories are out there. Every single day, probably between three and six times a day, I look at Google News. Um, so Google News you can get on the web, which is just news.google.com, or, or you can get the Google News app, uh, which I have uh, for a smartphone. And Google News tells me up to the moment what's going on in the news. I have no personalization on. I'm not looking for a particular search term. I'm just looking in general what's going on in the news. And then those uh, and then those are really my primary sources of finding out what's happening in the news. And I'm constantly looking for something that's interesting, that is relatable to my area of expertise that I can then create some content around. Interesting. So you're keeping the newspaper, the print versions at least going a little bit, right? Doing your own part. I, uh, sadly, for print newspapers, um, uh, they're, they are going in the southerly direction in terms of readership, but I am one of the loyal readers that will continue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I read my breakfast with the print newspaper every morning. And, uh, and, the, and the reason for that is that so many people do follow the news electronically, but they get in, but, but either the algorithms or the personalization that they have in place, they tend to focus their news reading habits in certain directions based on their interest. And that means they're crowding out the possibility for something serendipitous that they never thought to ask for. So you saw you're speaking at lots of events, you're creating tons of content, you're monitoring the news for opportunities to jump on. How do you manage to, to get all this done in a day? I mean, what does your day look like? What is, 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 do you have any specific habits or routines that you employ? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty efficient. So I, um, you know, I'm pretty good at moving from one thing to another pretty quickly. Um, a lot of people specifically ask that question around social media. How can you keep up with social media? Or, or you know, in the case of news checking, how do you keep up on the news stories? And um, the answer to that's really simple. I find time for social media and looking at the news and all those other things during downtime. So um, before we started recording this podcast, I had a, 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 a call with one of my advisory clients and there was about um, five minutes in between the two calls. That was five minutes that I could check out Twitter, see if there's anything going on, return a tweet, that kind of thing. Um, so it's not like, oh, my God, I have to now spend two hours on Twitter. It's like, no, it was five minutes in between two meetings that probably would have been downtime anyway. So let's turn it into something that's good. Um, so the whole idea of social networking, I believe, is a real-time endeavor. So um, I make it into a real-time thing as opposed to kind of blocking out time. I ra- rather than that, I find the time uh, during the day. Um, and then I carve out time where I try to turn everything else off for when I'm writing because that's where I really need to, com- need to be thinking. And typically I'll write early in the mornings. I'll typically also write um, on Saturdays. If there's nothing else going on, I'll block out almost an entire Saturday and that'll be doing some net new writing, like for a new book or something. Nice. 
David, tell us a little bit about your company, Signature Tones, and talk a little bit about sonic branding. This is a newer term that I'm thinking a lot of our listeners haven't heard of, and I'm really interested myself to learn more about sonic branding. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting concept. So uh, I started this company very recently, last couple of months, with a fantastic musician named Juanito Pascal. He's um, uh, a touring musician, has a bunch of albums out. And, um, and, and I'm a music geek and have no musical ability. Uh, and so we combined our areas of expertise to create this company together. Um, sonic branding is the use of music in a company's um, branding activities and marketing activities. So typical uses of music would be, for example, a sonic logo. Now, a sonic logo is between, say, three and a dozen notes where um, that becomes a very distinct image of a company based on sound. So, for example, people are familiar with the NBC um, tone. They're familiar with um, the Skype ringtone, for example, um, or familiar um, with um, the Apple startup chime when you first start your Apple computer, things like that. Those are all sonic logos. Um, so my company creates sonic logos for companies that they can use in their marketing. Another aspect of sonic branding is the creation of an original song. And original songs are used by companies in their branding for things like um, YouTube videos or podcasts. Um, you could have, for example, for the Neon Noise podcast, I think you need to have your own theme song. <clears throat> and um, so my company could create the Neon Noise podcast theme song that would be created especially for you and that would be uh, based on um, the brand and based on um, who you're trying to reach and sort of the attributes of what the podcast is like. The, um, there's a lot of people who do use music, but most people don't even consider that they can have custom music that can be made especially for them that they can own. The other options for music are that, number one, you steal it, which I highly do not recommend because you can go to jail. <laughs> In other words, use music you don't have permission to use. Um, the second thing that people do is they use stock music. So you go to a company that can sell you for a couple hundred bucks some music that you can use. The problem with that is that other companies are using that music as well. Um, but with um, owning your own music through some custom sonic branding, um, that's yours to use in any way you want. You have complete ownership over it to use in any way you want. So it could also be used um, uh, at trade shows. It could be used when you walk on stage at a speech. They could be used in uh, TV or radio commercials. Uh, the music can be used in all kinds of different places. Is sonic branding something reserved for, for larger corporations, or, or is this something that, smaller business owners and entrepreneurs could, could consider using as well? Oh, it's, it's basically for, for any kind of organization. Um, um, it could be, it could be for uh, very small organizations. It's not as expensive as, as you might think to create um, custom music or to create a sonic logo. And it's, um, it's kind of the, one of the last untapped areas where you can really do some interesting custom branding. 
And, and, you know, most companies understand that they need to have their own visual logo. You know, they need to have a logo that represents their company visually, a graphic. Most companies recognize that they need to have words and phrases that use, they use to describe their company, and that's something that, that can be unique to them. Um, uh, many, many companies recognize they have, they, have, they have a color scheme that can be um, determined, that can be the thing that they focus on with what colors are appropriate for their brand. But there's almost nobody who's doing um, um, a, a custom branding around the use of music. Um, uh, you know, this is, this is sort of a, a similar kind of expense to creating a logo. It's not expensive. And you bring up the sense of, of hearing or sound, and it, it is, when you really think about it, a seemingly untapped or underutilized uh, way of, of communication from a branding aspect that I, I don't know many using it. I consider myself to be decently aware in the marketing world. And when you brought up sonic branding, I, I read into it and understood it a little bit better, but it wasn't a term that I was overly exposed to or familiar with. And the uh, my initial instinct was that major corporations like McDonald's, the da, 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 type instance, yeah. yep. um, would would be. Oh, you see, you remember but that. I do. You remember yes, that. I, yeah, I, have, exactly. I have small children, and, and they're my one, my middle child. She's four, and she is the the little princess of jingles on TV when they come on. She <laughs> is, just r- rattles them off left and right, and I just chuckle, and, and it's it's. But they their their frequency so when you're looking at that that frequency comes into play because in order for your brand much like a visual aspect where it's seen over and over and over again um from a you know a logo standpoint for it to be recognizable do you have to have a do you recommend a certain level of frequency or is there a certain type of marketing plan or you know you mentioned some of the different things where uh when you come out on stage to speak or we talked about creation of video and in some of these uh you know we have a podcast here which which has audio um when you're looking at a small business owner entrepreneur who is employed with a certain marketing mix obviously there's uh the the idea behind um well i have to have a method of getting this out there, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think it partly depends on um, how an organization might use it, and you would make that decision before you would say, "Okay, well, here's sort of the frequency." Um, um, you know, we we built um, a Sonic logo for a company. Uh, actually, we're in the process of building the Sonic logo for a company now. That um, they they they're a, a smaller company. They're actually a startup. Um, and they're going to be doing um, um, management of condominium complexes. Uh, and they wanted to have a Sonic logo specifically because they wanted to have um, consistent music on hold when people call in because they have a lot of telephone calls. And they didn't want to do what most companies do, default to some crazy music that they, they have or do nothing or some n- notice from the CEO or something. Um, so they have, they're going to have their own music for on hold. They're going to use it for other purposes as well, but uh, that's primarily what they wanted. Um, and then our, one of our other clients, um, they're a company that um, is in the solar, um, uh, solar power business. And they really saw an opportunity for Sonic Branding because they, um, 
uh, that nobody else in the industry uses sonic branding. And they looked, they looked. There's like a um, you know a couple of dozen companies um, that create these high level installations of uh, of solar power around the country. And they checked. Nobody else has any sonic branding at all. So they wanted to stick out. You know, we had talked earlier in our um, conversation uh, about um, how you choose which social network. Um, to spend your time in. And part of that would be, you know, not copying what the competition is doing. And I think this idea of sonic branding is something similar, is that um, it's a, one of those vast untapped areas that that we have an opportunity to do something in that many people aren't. And it's exactly the reason why I chose to create the sonic branding company, is that I, I've been looking at creating a marketing agency of some kind for 15 years now. I had never done it. And I'm thinking to myself, do I create a search engine optimization um, uh, agency? Do I create a public relations agency? Do I create an advertising agency? Um, do I create a content marketing agency? You know, And I rejected every one of those ideas because I thought, you know what, there's people who are doing this pretty well right now. It'd be hard to compete with them. Some of my friends are doing those sorts of agencies. I don't want to compete with them. And then um, I was thinking, wow, you know, sonic branding is fascinating. I don't know anyone who's got a sonic branding company. Right. Uh, maybe I'm going to focus on that. It's untapped. It's an opportunity. And, and it's also something that excites me because I'm a music geek. And, and then I found this wonderful partner in Juanita, who's an amazing composer and can compose this, these really cool music, and this really cool um, a sonic logos. So, uh, so I just think it's an interesting, untapped, unique opportunity for the right kind of company to be able to, to get themselves out there in a new and unique way. Thanks for those examples, because I think that'll really help see the different applications because in myself my brain kept getting stuck on television or it, these these mass medias with these giant spends and things along those lines so it's helpful to, yeah. to really understand how someone that's not uh, advertising with those types of resources they can they can adopt this this like you said untapped uh, medium and, and incorporate it into the marketing mix yeah, and right, exactly. I mean, in my case, I run a one-person company, and um, I've got a I've got a, a custom song that I have. Uh, I've actually had it now for ten years. I had it before, um, way before I started my Sonic branding company, and that's one of the reasons why I got interested in doing this. So I use my music um, as background on my YouTube videos. Um, I frequently will use my music when I'm walking onto the stage before I give a speech. Um, so there's a number of different places that I'm using that music and, uh, I paid for it a long time ago. I paid for it 10 years ago and it's like continuing to be incredibly useful, even though, um, the nominal fee I paid for it 10 years ago is like, gosh, that's been monetized like a hundred times <laughs> sure. over. That's great. <laughs> now, what about the process when working with signature tones? How does that work? I, when, if someone is to say, uh, listen to this podcast, I'm interested. I want to know more. I want to contact signature yeah. tones. What can they expect to experience from the first call? And how, do, how does that method work or how's that, that process go through from, you know, start to completion? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, um, so what we do is 
Uh, I mean, first of all, our, our pricing is transparent. It's five thousand dollars for a Sonic logo and, and uh, twelve thousand five hundred dollars for an original song, or fifteen thousand dollars for a package of both. And uh, and so there's no you know haggling over pricing and whatnot. That's what we charge. Um, and then we um, what we do is I'm I mean I'm the marketing guy, and so I've done um, marketing discovery work for for my entire career. So I I conduct personally the marketing discovery work about the brand. And I lead um, the people, um, typically either through Skype or telephone, lead them through a branding discussion about um, wh what is your brand, what are your brand attributes, um, what, are your what are your aspirations for the future. Um, I ask questions about who your existing and potential customers. Uh, I want to know about any, um, uh, uh, any, any websites or social media presences that that you have so that I can be um, be able to get a sense independently and in doing independent research to understand what your brand is and who you are. And then, um, and then uh, we agree on, we get down to the point where we agree on a series of, um, of brand attributes. And there's, you know, typically eight or 10 or 12 of those one or two word attributes. And then that's what Juanito goes into the studio to work with and he begin, and then we also ask about music. Are there any types of music that that you and that you uh, um, can think of as being a particularly appropriate or inappropriate for your brand? So, for the, for example, for the the solar power company, um, they were really interested in something that had a bright and cheery kind of feel to it, something that was. Um, very positive and upbeat for the future, and they ended up going with a song that has a reggae twinge to it. So it's kind of got a reggae beat to it because they felt that was something that put a smile on your face and made you feel like the sun was shining outside in solar solar power. Uh, so then I do all that marketing. Then Juanito goes in the studio. He creates some sample music. Um, so we'll just shoot little phrases of music. Um, or little um, ideas for a logo, and at that point, it's just simple stuff. And then there might be um, six or eight or ten of those that people share, and we call it like uh, almost like a wine tasting, where you sit down in a quiet room and and you um, you pour the wine and you taste it. In other words, you listen to the different music that he sent through, and you taste each one and listen to them in different orders and clear your brain and really give some thought and then we want to know the feedback from that and then we go through several iterations of that and we get down to the point where we end up with um, the final version of your song and then you're given that final version in different lengths so there might if it's a song there might be a 30 second length a minute length a two minute length um, if it's a logo you might get it with a couple of different instruments there might be the guitar version or there might be the full you know the sort of piano version or whatever. Um, and then those are yours to keep. You have full ownership over them, the uh, total complete rights to use with, that, with any way you'd like to. Exciting. That's great. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. You need one for your podcast. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we have an intro, but we, we went the route where we purchased a piece of stock uh, music and there's nothing wrong with that except that there might be another podcast that's out there right that sure no we build websites and sometimes those websites we build uh we we are based on what the client has for assets where we have to use a stock photo here and there yeah. and it's always uh, frustrating when you see a stock photo you've used on another website because 
It's just kind of like, it just doesn't feel yeah. authentic. My, my favorite example of that is I've got uh, two photos I use in my speeches. I have this riff on stock photos because I hate them. Um, uh, but, so do we. I mean, <laughs> stock, stock, stock photos are okay in some purposes, but for the most part, if you're trying to represent either your customers or, or your or your uh, employees, they're not good. But I have a wonderful picture of IBM's homepage and another another wonderful picture of Constant Contact's homepage. And the same dude is in the same. Is in the same <laughs> I love it. And, like, I, and I, I said to my friend at IBM, whose name is Tim, I said, Tim, do you, re- do you really understand that Constant con- the same guy is pimping Constant Contact? <laughs> Um, uh, that's uh, funny. So, and so that can ha- that can happen with me. Sure, yeah. sure, absolutely. So, signature tones. You got the sixth edition of uh, the new rules of marketing and PR. Uh, you're speaking at Tony Robbins events as mo- along with other events. I think that you've spoken at at least one inbound conference, which Justin and I are familiar with. I've spoken at every inbound because I'm on the advisory board of HubSpot. Nice. And, and I wrote. Uh, I um. Uh, I was. Uh, the instigator and wrote the forward to Brian and Darmesh's book called Inbound Marketing. And my book, Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead, is co-authored with Brian Halligan, who's the CEO of HubSpot. Beautiful. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty well tied to HubSpot. So, yeah, I've spoken at all of their inbounds, and I'll be there again this uh, this. Well, week. I think we're going to be there as well, so maybe we'll run into one another. Oh, good. Uh, I'm um, I'm going to be curating and hosting and acting as MC for the Bold Talks cool. track this year. Very cool. So uh, come up and see definitely, absolutely. So, outside of all those things that we just covered, what do you what do you have anything new you're working on or anything that you see coming down, whether it's in the world of marketing and sales or uh, the the digital world that you're really excited about. Um, I've been exploring a few things. Um, I've got a couple of things that I'm kind of playing around with. There's nothing that's really, um, you know, worth talking about yet. I, I am interested, although I have been, it's not, not necessarily new. I have been for a couple of years now in the, um, uh, the convergence of marketing and sales. That's something that's fascinating to me, how, you know, it used to be there were two very distinct disciplines. Marketing did one thing, sales did another. Marketing generated leads, sales closed leads, um, but I think we're in a in a real convergence world now, where those things are really coming together, such that um, it's not one does one thing and one does another. It's really, um, you know, the concept that marketing creates can close deals. Um, a sales per, a good salesperson can generate leads. So um, I see that convergence as being really interesting. Very interesting. Hey, David, what is the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? So, um, let's see, newsjacking.com. So just go to news, just Google newsjacking and find me that way. On Twitter, I'm DM Scott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T. That's a good way to reach me. Uh, I use my middle name, Meerman, professionally. So I'm David Meerman Scott. The reason I do that is because I'm the only David Meerman Scott on the entire planet. <laughs> nice. So if, you, if you Google David Meerman Scott, you get me and only me, which is a really good thing. Um, when I, um, uh, about 1996, I was, uh, I wanted to get my, a, a website, my own website. And so I, I, Google didn't exist. I think I probably used Yahoo or whatever was the right thing at that point. And I typed in David Scott and I got, 
I got a, an Ironman triathlon champion. <laughs> I got the, I got the a commander of Apollo 15 who walked on the moon. I got a member of Congress to go well, shoot. I'm not going to get very far with David Scott. So I started using my middle, my middle. Love name. it. So if you if you Google David Merriman Scott, you get me. Beautiful. All right, David. Hey, before we say goodbye, uh, what is one piece of parting advice for our listening audience? I, uh, most important thing is that all of these things we've been talking about are fun. And I think marketing is really fun and interesting and exciting. It used to be, and when I first started doing marketing, it was awful. You know, creating brochures was dreadful. Yeah. Uh, but this, but the, what we've been talking about for the last hour is interesting and fun. And, yep. you know, let's make marketing fun again. Love it. Let's make marketing fun again. All right. I I love it. Hey, Neon Noise Nation. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today with David. Be sure to go over and check out his website at newsjacking.com. We've got signaturetones.com and davidmeermanscott.com. David, thanks again for being on the show today. Uh, My pleasure, Justin and Ken. It's really been great. Loved it. A ton of great value. Uh, Neon Noise Nation, I hope you enjoyed uh, everything with David Meerman Scott. The show notes from today will be available at neongoldfish.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, this is Justin, Ken, and David signing off. Neon Noise Nation, we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Neon Noise Podcast. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, please subscribe, share with a friend, or write a review. We want to cover the topics you want to hear. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like Justin and Ken to cover, connect with us on Twitter at Neon Goldfish or through our website at neongoldfish.com.